Support for the ShakeOut podcast comes from Port San Antonio, a technology campus where nearly 4,000 new jobs in aerospace, cybersecurity, robotics, and other fields have been created in the last three years. And in collaboration with the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology and other partners, the port will be home to a comprehensive eSports arena and innovation center in early 2022. More at techportsa.com. Shall I leave coffee and jacket? That's okay? Yeah, yeah, we'll All right, I'll do that. Thank you. No symptoms of COVID. I've uh, had no symptoms. Michael Taylor's a financial columnist for Hearst. So far, so He's good. an author and our sometime co-host. And he doesn't like needles. Okay, go ahead and make a fist for me and I'll let you know when to let it go, okay? All right. But for science, he's agreed to put that mild fear away. Here's the part where I look away as the needle gets unveiled. <laughs> you can go ahead and close your eyes. Yeah, what you gotta I'm just do. Gonna look away. And... Michael's one of more than 43,000 people who volunteered to yeah, be injected with the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine as part of their phase three clinical trial this fall. Do you have any problem with that last vaccine? No problems, no known reactions. Yeah. That's the researcher running the clinical trial, Dr. Charles Andrews, asking him if either of the shots Mike's received have caused any issues. The vaccine was about to get FDA approval and start rolling out to first responders the following week. Are we filling all three vials today? Yes, sir. For Mike, the plan is, despite the vaccine rollout, to regularly update an app Pfizer has for the vaccine about how he's doing and to do checkup visits like this one for the next two years. All right, go ahead and apply pressure for me. Okay. Draw some blood, ask him some questions. Because despite the emergency use authorization, the fact that it works over 90% of the time and the release of data that shows it's safe, we don't actually have that much data to base any of that on. Okay, y'all are all set. Okay, lovely. Thanks. Very pain-free. Appreciate it. This is The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav. And in this episode, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, this podcast is about the economic impact of the disease that's literally caused trillions in damage to the global economy. But the thing we kept hearing over the course of the series of podcast episodes, and this is from everyone from the chairman of the Federal Reserve to a San Antonio hotel owner, the vaccine is the key to the economy coming back. The ultimate remedy is to beat the virus, and to beat the virus, we we need a vaccine. But hopefully... When COVID gets away, we get a vaccine. And they may see what may be the light at the end of the tunnel in the middle of next year as the vaccines come out. and are But we've got a vaccine around the corner, which is very exciting. And that depends fundamentally on whether Americans take the vaccine. A recent survey showed more than a third of Americans won't get the vaccine. And Texas is going to play an outsized role in the success or failure of that vaccine rollout. Texas is now has the largest number of people infected from COVID-19 in the country. Um, if Texas were itself a country, as some of us think it is, um, we'd rank about ninth or 10th globally next to Colombia and Mexico. That's, that's how bad things are in Texas. That's Dr. Peter Hotez. We'll be hearing from him more later. Texas is the second most populous state in the union and a hub for anti-vaccine misinformation. So while the vaccine may be a linchpin of the recovery, Texas may be the linchpin of vaccine adoption. Mike, why did you get into this Pfizer vaccine trial? 
Yeah, so honestly, the only reason I'm allowed to be part of the trial was because my wife is a frontline health worker. She's an infectious disease doc, actually working with COVID patients on a fairly regular basis. Um, as far as why would I, you know, essentially, I think science is super important. But let's go back to my doctor's office visit in December, because uh, as we'll hear, not everybody was as excited about vaccines. Hello. Michael, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Dr. Charles Andrews specializes in human drug trials at the Diagnostics no Research Group in San Antonio, Texas. Like uh, when you say specializes, like what, a few a year or what? Yeah, like he's done nearly 400 trials over 20 years. And at any given time, we're performing um, probably 20 studies. We've been very fortunate that we were able to be involved in the successful Ebola vaccine, shingles vaccine development. For both wow. Companies. So he's like an expert. And while usually they run several simultaneously, they shut down every other trial to focus solely on this one. I see this as the most important research work I've ever done. Over 20 years, we've been involved in development of many good vaccines, but I've never felt as strongly positive about anything that we have been able to contribute. But not everyone in the community thinks this is good. What do you mean? Like, they get angry calls from people who don't like vaccines. What? I mean, I can sort of understand people with reservations calling up a talk radio show or, or even going so far as to protest outside of, like, Pfizer, but... To go to the point of researching who's conducting the trials, to go all the way down to the local level and then harass them, I, that's kind of like a dedication I did not anticipate. Yeah, that was my reaction too. What do they say? We shouldn't be doing them. That If we wanted to do what's right, we wouldn't participate in vaccine trials. Uh, generally, they'll talk with one of the coordinators and we listen patiently. There's not much we can say, I mean... And Dr. Andrews is experiencing something that has been going on all across the country. Breaking news. Spokane police are right now monitoring a large protest. The group out is there. protesting Governor Inslee's COVID lockdown, masks, and the COVID vaccine, saying they believe. These angry, misinformed, and misguided protests have a long history in Texas. When we come back from a short break, we'll see how Texas has been a haven for anti-vaccine forces and how Texas lawmakers made it easier for the movement to take root. Immigration. I think we need to all get in before the wall goes up. Health. The Promotora, they have all the resources that can get them the help that they need. Art. There's this kind of subversiveness to it, right? We cover all these topics and more on Fronteras as we examine issues along the border and beyond. I'm Norma Martinez. Download Fronteras where you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav, and we're talking about vaccines and whether people will take them. Right before the break, we were going over just how vocal the anti-vaccine and anti-science movement has gotten the last few months. I got to say, I was surprised to see anti-mask protesters. 
Michael Taylor, columnist for the San Antonio Express News and Houston Chronicle. I think many people across the country were. They shared your surprise, but not Reka Lakshmanan. I was really not surprised at all. I think because of the experiences um, a lot of us have had in Texas over the past few years and, you know, the early attempts to politicize vaccination and vaccines, I think it was just a matter of the nation kind of catching up with that line of thinking and that sentiment, which is extremely unfortunate. Reka works for the Immunization Partnership, a Texas-based advocacy organization. And she said it was tough watching these ideas on the fringes of Texas's far right go mainstream across the country. It was deja vu just on an extremely amplified scale, and you could just see it as a, as a slow-moving, you know, train wreck that was about to happen. So how far back does this go in Texas, and how did it make its way mainstream? And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. Since 2003, the state has had an increasingly active anti-vaccine community. That year, a fringe group of far-right Republicans managed to get the law changed. Using false medical claims around vaccines and autism, they wrote new exemptions for people claiming philosophical or personal beliefs as reasons not to have children vaccinated. And the number of kids not getting a measles vaccine in Texas exploded, going from less than 3,000 kids to... The 2019-2020 data, uh, we have over 72,000 vaccine exemptions filed for students either in public schools um, and in private schools. And that's probably an underestimate because it doesn't include homeschooled kids who don't have to report. Rika says these groups and parents are... They're very well organized. They're extremely loud. And they are engaged as citizens with their lawmakers. That sounds familiar. But, but like, why? Why do this? I mean, we were all vaccinated as kids, and we turned out fine. Well, the arguments around it have changed, Reka says. They've questioned vaccine safety. You know, do we really need to have vaccines um, because we don't see these diseases anymore? Um, that's because vaccines work. But we have seen um, a shift uh, over the past few years around uh, medical freedom and uh, parental rights. And this idea of medical freedom, which many medical doctors scoff at, is persuasive to a specific set of people. It sort of went from being a far-left concern over big pharma, and it's been adopted by more libertarian groups. People opting out for personal individual reasons does have societal consequences. Like, didn't I read last year that the state had more measles cases than in like 30 years? Yeah. And according to the Texas Children's Hospital, the country as a whole had more than 1,200 cases last year, the most since 1992. Places like Austin saw the first case in 20 years, and outbreaks also occurred in El Paso. Doctors were baffled. The young ones had never seen a measles rash before. Older doctors had to come in and tell them. So the fact that some communities don't have mass adoption rates means that herd immunity overall is already being chipped away at. Yeah, and I mean, 2019 was bad, but it could have been much worse. A University of Pittsburgh study said if the percent of vaccinated Texans continues to fall, which it's likely going to, like if it falls just 5% more, the chance of a major measles outbreak increases by 4,000%. Sounds like this is the future. Yeah, I mean, that's what Dr. Peter Hotez says. 
Well, the outbreaks are going to be a new normal, right? I mean, we're already seeing measles come back. So that's there. And then we have all the deaths from COVID-19. Hotez is dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine in Houston, a vaccine researcher and author of Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, about his daughter. And Hotez says the bad vaccination information is coming primarily from Texas. Well, you know, Texas, unfortunately, is one of the uh, epicenters of the anti-vaccine movement in this country. The thing that kicked all this fear off was a late 90s journal article connecting the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine to autism. This was a massive, paradigm-shifting study. People wrote about it. Journalists and pundits leapt on it. Yeah, and it was in a good medical journal, too, Lancet, right? But also it got retracted. Yeah, the study got retracted because of the unethical behavior of its author. It's been called scientific fraud. And that lead author, a British physician named Andrew Wakefield, even lost his medical license. And now Wakefield lives in Austin. He started a nonprofit producing big movies, continuing to push his pseudoscience. Here's a clip from one. There's a whistleblower from the CDC who's going to come out and say that the CDC had committed fraud on the MMR study. InfoWars' Alex Jones lives in Austin. This is a giant criminal takeover. And Joe Rogan, one of the biggest podcasters around, lives in Austin, has a conspiracy theory-loving audience, and has been criticized for having prominent anti-vaccine personalities on his show. By vaccines? I don't think so. I think what, what happens is the sequence of events... That's Hotez on the Joe Rogan experience. You know, that one of the things I'm doing now is trying to reach out to every conservative news outlet I can to try to reach populations in those defiant areas. So, Dr. Hotez, always good to talk to you. Thanks for being here. What were we supposed to mean? Houston doctors made it his personal mission to fight this disinformation with facts. You know, most families are not deeply dug in. You know, they're just so inundated with the misinformation and because it's the anti-vaccine groups dominate the internet. There's more than 500 fake anti-vaccine websites all revved up on social media. Yeah, so I've noticed that anti-vaccine books do really well on Amazon. Yeah, Hotez says they often show up first under fitness and dieting on the site. And people are just overwhelmed. Some of this stuff is pretty wild. His advocacy and his work trying to dispel the myths around MMR vaccines and autism have made him a target, just like Bill Gates. Bill Gates? What about Bill Gates? Oh, you haven't heard this? Oh, man, this stuff is wild, man. They've been saying that Gates, through his foundation, which, you know, funds all these vaccines and disperses them across Africa, that it's actually some insidious operation. And that, that the COVID vaccine is like a ploy to, I don't know, enslave the human race. These ridiculous things like vaccines are going to modify our genome and we're creating genetically modified humans. This is a conspiracy to stick chips into our skin, trace our whereabouts perpetrated by Bill Gates or me or Tony Fauci. And, and somehow it involves Area 51, too. That's another important piece of this. Uh, but that doesn't strike people as sort of uh, I mean, I don't know, stupid? Well, it's definitely hard to connect with. But to these folks, I mean, our trust of big conglomerates is stupid. You know, you, they look at things like these companies propelling the opioid crisis and, and seeing that, you know, they'll basically do anything to focus on their bottom line. And so trusting them to deliver a safe and effective drug rather than just to make money is is not very bright. Okay, so to be fair, we could be skeptical of the motives of large pharmaceutical companies, and we could acknowledge that we actually don't have a ton of data on these vaccines. 
Right. In some ways, Peter Hotez says Project Warp Speed, while good at the science, was bad at talking about it, and the FDA was largely silent on its successes. Meanwhile, President Trump himself has been a proponent of some of these vaccine conspiracies in his past, and has often undermined his own public health officials now. So there's a vacuum, and the vacuum is being filled by the pharma CEOs who, when they send out a press release, it's not for you or for me, it's for their shareholders, and that's caused damage. And then the anti-vaccine groups are piling in and dominating the internet. So often, these well-meaning people are left wondering who to trust. Meanwhile, the picture here in Texas is really just getting darker and darker. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation projects that 15,000 Texans will lose their lives between um, last month and a week or two after the inauguration. And those are all people who don't have to die. Yeah, I mean, if people would just wear masks and, and could slow down, you know, the hospitalization rates, so we're not overwhelming ICUs, these deaths would be avoidable. And I mean, 300,000 Americans have already died because we, as a society, failed to take basic measures seriously and our government failed to really put out any kind of federal strategy to abate this. You know, I don't know how to say it in any starker terms. And because it's no longer just a fringe group, these are these have become mainstream. And I can attribute deaths in Texas, both during that summer wave and now, to anti-science. And he says the politics have polluted the conversation around vaccines, and that people who fall right of center are less likely to get the vaccine as a result. And it even extends to frontline medical staff. Here's Dr. Joseph Varon being interviewed by NPR's Steve Inskeep. Varon is chief of critical care at Houston Memorial Medical Center. Population at large who are skeptical about the vaccine. Do you have anybody on your staff who's pushing back? Oh, gosh, yesterday I had a, not a fight, but, you know, I had a friendly argument with more than 50% of my nurses in my unit telling me that they would not get the vaccine. Paul, I just want to know that I heard that right. 50% of nurses. Half. Yeah, half. And this isn't the only hospital in Texas where medical staff opted out. Coronavirus has become a political toy. And most of the reasons why most of my people don't want to get the vaccine are politically motivated. I guess that gets to the point that this issue is pretty mainstream now and that there are a lot of other groups that aren't crazy or stupid who are concerned about the vaccines coming out and a lot of well-intentioned people at that. I mean, we currently only have about six months of safety data on the two leading vaccines in this country. There are ethnic and racial groups who historically have either been neglected or abused by the medical establishment. I mean, you have the Tuskegee experiments, for example, where African-American men were knowingly withheld treatment for syphilis just so they could be observed as they declined. Right, that's true. And then we can think about all the other barriers to folks getting the vaccine. There'll be people who are scared, but there's also logistical issues. Texas is a very high poverty state with low access to basic medical attentions. There are lots of poor neighborhoods that lack access to, frankly, a grocery store, let alone a pharmacy or a hospital. So actually, logistically, finding the vaccine is going to be a a real concern for sure. We can imagine a a large number of undocumented folks who will be quite nervous about interacting with the traditional medical system. So what do we do? Well, we're going to take a quick break 
After that, we'll talk through at least one possible solution for getting people to take the vaccine. This is The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav, and we will be right back. I'm David Martin Davies, and I'm inviting you to the best conversation in town, The Source. Every Monday through Thursday at noon here on KSTX, you have the chance to chat it up with local and national newsmakers, politicians, artists, writers, and more. It's your local live and lively call-in news show, and you're part of the program. So tune in and call in to The Source on Texas Public Radio 89.1 FM. Welcome back to The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav. And I'm Michael Taylor. Before the break, we were talking about the disinformation explosion around vaccines and how Texas is a major hub of this information. So we've got this life-saving technology, an effective vaccine or vaccines that are, as we are saying, the key to recovery in this country, to opening businesses, restaurants, ballparks, tourism, and giving people their jobs back. But we know we're facing high resistance to taking it. More than a third of people, from libertarians to just full-on anti-vaxxers who mistrust big pharma, to high rates of mistrust from the African-American community and the undocumented. We do need a majority of society to take it, a number like at least 70%. And there's urgency. It makes a big difference whether we start to return to normal now versus six months from now or 12 months from now. Many are just holding on by a thread, financially or mental health-wise. And if we don't have something approaching nationwide herd immunity like six months from now, Paul, we need to consider more drastic measures. I will confess that my favorite proposed drastic measure for increasing rates of vaccination came from economist Robert Lighton from the Brookings Institution. And he says, well, let's just pay them. If you're trying to persuade people who are otherwise reluctant to take the vaccine, how much is it going to take? And I said, asked myself, you know, would I change my mind for 100 or 200 bucks? I didn't think many people would change. But I think you'd tell people $1,000, especially when they have a family of four, that's $4,000. Now you're talking real money. And I think that at $1,000, you could get enough people to switch. At the same time, we have the question of whether it's too much money for the federal government to be handing us such big checks. Lighten's view, which I agree with, is that it's a lot cheaper to pay people for fast herd immunity than it is to pay for the bailouts we've been doing this whole past year. It would sure beat the pretty modest payments that Congress has been talking about after months of not doing much. So it's another sort of mini fiscal stimulus and, you know, heaven's sake, the economy can use it. I'm talking to you in Texas and all I do is see on TV every night these lines of people. uh, It's just tragic that people don't have enough money to buy food. And this is, this is crazy. This is America. We shouldn't be living in a country like this. And so the sooner we get back to normal, the better. And $270 billion, by the way, is a, is, a, is a drop in the bucket compared to the benefits of it. But this theory really didn't go over with your doctor wife, right? Yeah, medical ethicists don't like coercing people like this. Well, what do you mean? So my wife, remember, she's an infectious disease doc who works with COVID patients as well as on a vaccine trial. When I told her enthusiastically, I'm like, this is the greatest idea ever. She says, no, that is way too much money. At $1,000 per person, it becomes super coercive to require people to take a vaccine that, frankly, may have risks that we just haven't eliminated yet. Yeah, but I mean, like, who cares? Who cares? Well, yeah, I mean, if, 
<laughs> Seriously, who cares if this is coercive? I mean, there's coercion and then there's, you know, coercion. I, I mean, it's, it isn't blackmail. It's $1,000 to as far as we can tell. Do the right thing. We're in the toughest economic crisis in several generations. And this is, this is the thing that we have to get done as a society. So who cares if we are coercive? Vaccinations are always, right? I mean, we force kids to get them into school in most states, not in Texas, as we've covered. That is coercion, too. So why is money worse than mandates? I'm open to it, but just to represent the medical ethicist's perspective, coercing people to put something in their body with this very minimal data that we have is something medical ethicist just remains super deeply uncomfortable with. So we'll find out in coming months whether the adoption of vaccines gets us back to quote-unquote normal. I mean, Mike, I guess you must feel pretty good about having already gotten the Pfizer shot. Well, I wish, and you'd think so, but as my wife reminded me, enrolling in a trial is actually not the same as getting vaccinated. So you either got the Pfizer vaccine or a placebo, and you don't know which one you got. So number one, there's a 50% chance you got a big shot of saline in your arm, Okay. which is not going to protect you against anything. Yeah. So despite my two shots, I don't know if I'm vaccinated or not. I guess I was willing to participate in a trial in part because it mattered to me whether society got a solution to the virus and got it quickly. It actually wasn't for my personal benefit. It's just nice to have some hope for change after almost 10 months. I mean, I mean, there's some light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel of a year. Right. We started from a position of widespread hesitancy, but I, I do think that people will grow more comfortable as their colleagues and friends and, and family members get the vaccine and we move towards getting back to regular life. Right. I mean, people's livelihoods are banking on it. I mean, we have documented a number of industries and people whose lives have been devastated for the past nine months. So I've got some hope. Maybe a unifying theme of 2020 and the shakeout from this epidemic is the question of to what extent can I go through the world only looking after myself or to what extent I should care about the disruptions, the shakeouts happening to people other than me in my city or in my state or in my country. Yeah, I mean, in the first episode of the series, we saw thousands of people waiting in food lines here in San Antonio, and that, that was all over the country as well. And the big question from that episode was really, what do we owe one another? So like you said, should I care whether folks in another part of my country or city go hungry? Even if my job is safe, should I care that millions of people lost their travel industry job or saw their livelihoods in oil and gas destroyed? Or should I care that the cost of the federal response that bans much of the travel between the U.S. and Mexico falls mostly on poor Mexican families and on U.S. small businesses on the border? Can we as Americans understand our rights, but also our obligations to one another? I usually approach things with a finance mindset, but this really can't be understood if we start by upholding freedom or markets or even the economy as the highest value things to be saved in the midst of an epidemic shakeout. It can only be understood if we think understanding the experiences of others is worth doing and then acting in ways that take into account our connectivity and empathy. And taking or not taking the vaccine... Wearing a mask or not, I mean, these are kind of the ultimate expressions of that because they, their impact can mean the difference between life and death. Well, 
hopefully we'll see in the next few months just what the result of all this is, whether people take the vaccines or not. Uh, Michael Taylor, thanks so much for joining me on this first series of The Shakeout. Paul, it's been fun. This has been The Shakeout for Texas Public Radio. This episode was produced by Ben Henry. It was edited by Kitty Isley. Michael Taylor has been a contributor throughout on it. Dan Katz is our news director, and TPR is shepherded by Joyce Slocum. I'm Paul Flav. Thanks for listening to the series.